Well, I'd love you to have that passage open in front of you. John chapter 15, and it's on page 1022 in the Green Bibles. And uh, as we sit, a short word of prayer. Heavenly Father, that you please would speak to us afresh through your word and by your spirit that we may come to know you more fully as we remain in you, that you would live in us, you would teach and encourage us, strengthen us, that we might bear fruit for your glory. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, we're in the middle of a little season of housekeeping as we review who it is that we're seeking to be as a, a, a family, a body, a people here uh, at St. Dionys. We have this, this vision, this preferred picture of the future into which we hope we will live and, uh, and move and step into. This picture of a Christ-centred family in Parsons Green. And uh, last week we looked at at John 15 and uh, Jesus' command to us, as we derive it from his command to the disciples, to love one another. This is my command, that you love each other. And this week we're picking up on his image of the vine. And the vine as uh, an allegory, really. The vine as a symbol of Israel. Uh, We read in Psalm 80, it's also in uh, Isaiah and the prophet Ezekiel, that Israel was likened to, the nation of Israel was likened to a vine that the Lord lovingly planted on a hillside. It it grew, it, uh, it spread over the hillside, it provided shade, it produced fruit. It was meant as a sign and a symbol of God's goodness for the rest of his creation. But as we read in Psalm 80 and also in the song in Isaiah and Ezekiel, the the vine representing Israel, the vine has borne no fruit. And uh, the vine essentially is a utilitarian plant. Its sole purpose really is to provide figs or, or grapes or whatever it might be. And in the absence of any fruit, the vine itself is, is useless. And so it's cut and destroyed. And that is in prophetic terms what uh, Isaiah and Ezekiel in particular were seeking to warn Israel about. That, that the vine dresser, the one who planted the vine, God himself would come to, to destroy, to burn up, to, to cut right back to the root, the vine that has uh, proved itself to be unfruitful. And we read here in John chapter 15 and verse 1, Jesus, standing in the midst of Israel, standing in the midst of the one called to be the vine, and he says, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. I am the true vine. And again in verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. Jesus has grown up out of the stump 
of Israel and he stands in the midst of them and declares that he is truly what Israel was always called to be. Last week, love each other. This week, a command and a promise. Remain in me. You see it there in verse 5. Remain in me and I in you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Remain in me, Jesus says. Remain in me to abide, as the AV has it. To live in. To linger. To be sourced by. It is our primary call as Christians to remain in Christ. That's why here at St. Dionys, as individual Christians called to be together to be this, this family, this, this, this body, we gather in in that sense. And our primary calling, we recognise as individuals and as a body, is to be Christ-centred. To, to abide and remain in him. No branch, John says, uh, or, or uh, John records Jesus as saying, no branch has a life within itself. A branch only lives as it's attached to the vine. You see there in uh, uh, verse 4, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I wonder whether that begins to feel a little difficult to us. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We can go with the remain in me and uh, abiding in Jesus. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Hasn't Jesus gone a little bit too far there? What can he mean by that? After all, we know people in our place of work. We know neighbours and friends who don't profess anything of the Christian faith and yet seem to do all sorts of things. They hold down successful jobs. They have a a marriage, a family. They can do all sorts of outside interests uh, and fill their lives in all sorts of wonderful and productive ways. Can we really say that uh, without Christ we can do nothing? I can think of uh, someone who calls himself, uh, describes himself in, in faith terms as an atheist. They, they, they believe there is no God at all. And yet they do a tremendous amount in their own time, voluntarily, in various charitable organisations. Can we really say of them that they do nothing? Just as an aside, I think this is a little prompt for us to work hard at understanding the whole of Scripture. Sometimes I think we can come to Scripture and understand certain bits of it that are relatively easy to pick up and, 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 uh, and assimilate. And yet we come to one or two other bits, maybe like this, that tend at face value to confuse us. And uh, we're not entirely sure how we should take the meaning. And, and because we're perhaps less inclined to work hard at, at believing that God may be speaking to us through the bits that we find hard and difficult to understand on first encounter we're tempted to think that maybe certain bits of the Bible are true and real and effective and to be lived by, but others, perhaps they're not. And so we tend to pick and choose those bits of scripture that we'll uh, live by and chew on. 
And the danger then is that uh, ultimately we allow ourselves to be the arbiter of truth rather than to stand under the complete truth of scripture and allow our lives and our opinions to be shaped and formed thereby. Just on this, I think the confusion can come in if we confuse fruitfulness with productivity. Jesus here isn't talking about productivity. He's talking about being fruitful. It seems to me that's what verse 8 is all about by way of summary. We're here to glorify the Father, showing ourselves to be disciples of Jesus. And one of the ways in which we'll do that is through fruitful living. So as a Christ-centered family here, seeking to follow Jesus' example, we'll stay close to him, we'll remain in him. Following his example. Let me turn with me, if you will, just back to John chapter 1 and to uh, verse 18 of uh, John's introduction. He says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. And uh, this uh, more recent translation, in the closest relationship with the Father, is it's a little bit clumsy in a sense, but uh, it's, it's a little bit more accurate. It's, it's getting closer to the heart of the original language than maybe the, uh, the NIV translation, which, which has that as the, at the Father's side. I was looking up the AV uh, and the King James, uh, and the translation there is in the Father's bosom. Or, or, I mean, literally the Greek is in his chest. And if we're going to follow Jesus, then we need to recognise in in remaining in Jesus that Jesus himself remained in the Father. He was in the Father's chest. He was in his bosom. He could hear the Father's heartbeat. Uh, From time to time when our children were smaller, we used to hold them, cuddle them. And uh, they would be, we'd hold them close to us, maybe at bedtime, reading a story. And I remember from time to time they say, oh, oh, daddy, I can, I can feel your heartbeat as their ear was pressed against my chest. And it's that sense of Jesus being so close to the heart of the Father that he can feel his heartbeat. And as Jesus remains in the Father, Remember later on in John's Gospel, he says, I and the Father are one. As Jesus remains in the Father, so we remain in Jesus. We'll feel his heartbeat, as it were. That's our challenge at St. Thee's, that we encourage one another. Part of the way in which we love one another is to ensure that we and others around us, as we encourage them, are remaining in Jesus, that we might feel the heartbeat of the Father. As John Piper has put it, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. So we abide in Christ. He abides in us and bears his fruit in us which makes God look good. And that's the point, it seems to me, of this passage in John 15. You see, fruit-bearing 
is a Christ activity. It's not our primary call, our primary focus. Our call, the only command to us here as branches, is to remain in him. And I think that's significant. Because this command for us to remain in Jesus is, it seems to me, the ultimate antidote against one of our greatest or most frequent sins. A sin that underpins all others. It's the sin of self-reliance, of independence. One test of our satisfaction in Christ. Our ability to delight in dwelling in him and remaining in him is this. That we don't come to Jesus when we know we can't do it on our own. But we remain in Jesus even when we think we can. Being satisfied in Jesus. And you'll notice in verse 2, a couple of tests for us on our reliance on Jesus. It is the extent to which we'll acknowledge the activity of the Father, the gardener. I'm the true vine, verse 1, Jesus says, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. Do you notice that the Father cuts branches? Branches. Who are the branches? Well, verse 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches, Jesus says to his followers. Followers of Jesus, followers of the Lord, they are branches. The gardener doesn't cut off people who are outside of the kingdom, who aren't followers. He cuts off those who are followers. This seems very confusing to us. And yet, if we think again of the vine, uh, Israel, and the image of Israel as the vine then we know from our biblical history and from the, 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 the theological narrative that Israel was cut off. She was uh, uh, taken away into captivity. That the temple was uh, sacked and destroyed. Followers, God's people, were cut off and burned, as it were. It's a warning to us as we seek to come to Jesus for ourselves and remain in him, lest... We reach the stage where, purporting to be branches, we are in fact cut off by the gardener. It's a warning to us too, I think, to look out for our brothers and sisters in Christ. To ensure that they are following this command to remain in the vine. Because by remaining in the vine, they will be fruitful. We will be fruitful. Remaining in the vine means that Jesus remains in us. And he will bear fruit. So the first activity, which we will welcome, although it's shocking and it's a hard teaching, is that we'll recognise the activity of the Father as gardener who cuts off branches. But secondly, our satisfaction in Jesus will result in our recognition of his pruning us. He prunes those branches that bear fruit. Vines grow quickly 
And when they grow quickly, they grow quite thickly as well. And there's a tendency to, if you leave a vine untended, that its branches will grow all over each other and actually begin to cut off the light that the vine needs for its life. It will literally begin to kill itself. And a skillful vine dresser will recognize this and prune back branches that need cutting, need pruning, in order that the life of the vine might be enhanced further. Fruitful branches, branches that are bearing fruit, that are remaining in the vine, are nevertheless cut back. And again, this is teaching for for us. Those of us in the vine, those of us seeking to do good works, to show glory to God, we'll need to recognise from time to time that, that the gardener, the father, he will prune us back, discipline us, hold us back, even when, from time to time, we're being fruitful. It's interesting that the word for pruning is the same word for cleaning, in verse 3. So the father prunes in verse 2 and then he says, you are already clean, verse 3, because of the word I've spoken to you. And as we come to celebrate communion together, as we come to take this symbol of Jesus' sacrifice uh, and a reminder of our remaining and abiding in him, this, this bread and this wine, we'll pray the prayer of humble access that our bodies may be cleaned by his body and our souls washed through the shedding of his precious blood. As we hear God's word, feed on him, digest him, in order that we might remain and abide in him, we are cleansed, pruned. Our lives yielded continually to him and his life in us, so that to his Father's glory we bear much fruit, showing ourselves to be his disciples. Amen.